0: Thank you, Brother Parrish, and praise the Lord to everybody. Oh. Amen. Oh, to to I have thoroughly enjoyed last night's message with Brother um, Springer, and, uh, and then this incredible. Uh, Devotion this morning with Brother Bagwell. You know, folks, it really is. You've got to look really inward to be able to truly express outward. Because nobody knows us better. We think it might be our wife. But nobody knows us better than Jesus Christ. And Brother Springer, thank you last night. Amen. And, um, you know, Bishop T.F. Tenney, one of his tenney is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I can't get the main thing off of my mind since yesterday. Because we know that the main thing is Jesus Christ, but we have to understand why he, And what is his purpose in coming? And his purpose is to seek and to save that which is lost. Amen. And we teach and we believe that we are the body of Jesus Christ in this present hour. And if that was his purpose for his body, It's still got to be his purpose uh, for his body right now. Amen. And so this is kind of continuation from yesterday's teaching. But if you have your Bibles, if you'd stand with me, uh, I I do know and I do read more scriptures than this one, but I keep being drawn back to this one. And that's found in the Gospel of John chapter 4 and verse 35, and then I'm also going to read in Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 12. Jesus says, say not ye, read it with me, gentlemen. There are yet four months. He said, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. You know, all of my life, since I've been in the church, I've always heard there is a revival coming. There is a revival coming. There is a revival coming. Church, uh, I want you to know the revival is here. Amen. God is elevating, uh, amen, the church as it's already been spoken uh, in such a way that it is mind-boggling. And I recognize in our own locales, however, you know, region that they may be in the uh, Brother Farmer said he is uh, the furthest away is that how you put it? Brother Farmer? The furthest away is that what you said? The furthermost. Well I told him in Wisconsin we are the uttermost. We have more cows than you can believe. We are the uttermost parts of the Quoting scripture. (laughs) That's good. There you go. Say not, ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Jesus said, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. For they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth, we say one one soweth, and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Romans 10 and 12, Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet. Brethren, have you looked at your feet lately? I know when I used to look at that scripture, I thought, somehow or another, these two words just don't connect. Beautiful and feet. Until I did some study, as you have all done yourself. It doesn't mean like we think beautiful. It means timely. How timely are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Brethren, I want to speak this morning on calling all the messengers. Calling all the messengers. Brother Parrish, would you ask your blessing? Everybody said, in Jesus' name, turn to your neighbors, shake their hand, look them in the eye, and say, God's calling you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you may be seated. I used to pastor in Germany. And a German nurse that came to our assembly, we met on a military base, and we were able to bring nationals on our own U.S. military base. And, uh, And Sister Ulrika, she sat in the pew. She was very faithful, but it took her two years before she got the Holy Ghost. And finally she got the Holy Ghost, and I said, Sister Ulrika, Why did it take you so long? And she kind of looked at me and lowered her head. She says, now, pastor, because you preach like Hitler. You know, he was demonstrative. Well, that made me just feel great. uh, But all those years since the war, there was a complete lack of any kind of nationalism. There was no excitement at all about singing their national anthem because they had ashamed. And, of course, we understand that prior to World War II, the strife-torn country of Germany had made the Jews the scapegoat, blaming them for all of the country's economic woes. And we know that the Holocaust began. And by the end of the war, an estimated 6 million Jews, stop and think of that staggering number, had been exterminated. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I have stood in the oven room in Dachau. Very sobering sight. I have seen the mound of shoes that were taken off the feet of Jews. Penny Lee, a present-day author, wrote of an interview she had with an elderly German man who had lived through Germany's darkest hour through the dictatorship of Hitler. This is what he recollected to her. He said, I've lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. He said, I considered myself Christian. I've attended church since I was a small boy. We had heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but like most people today, in this country, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what really was taking place. Well, what could anybody do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning, we would hear the whistle from a distance, and then the clacking of the wheels over the track. We became disturbed when one Sunday we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews, they were like cattle in those train cars. Week after week, the train whistle would blow. And we would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin to cry out to us as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help these poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time that whistle would blow. And we decided that the only way to keep from being so disturbed by the cries was at that time to start singing our hymns. So by the time that the train came rumbling past the churchyard, we were singing at the top of our voices. And if some of the screams reached our ears, we just sang a little louder Until we could hear them no more. Years have passed and no one talks about it much anymore. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians. And yet did nothing to intervene. Brothers, it may not be a literal train whistle that we are hearing, but I don't believe that any of us can deny what we are witnessing all around us. The dire devastation and destruction of what sin has unleashed across our nation and this world. All around us, there are so many people that are in bondage spiritually physically, and mentally. Aimlessly being led like cattle to the slaughterhouse, ever heading to a place of eternal damnation, without purpose and without hope. I personally desire, and I too, want to see America become great again. But I realize, church, that our greatness is not necessarily found in our economic well-being. America's greatness is in recognizing and serving her Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. America needs a spiritual awakening, a heart-transforming revival. We need the kingdom of God and his powerful salvation to sweep our nation once again. Brothers of Alaska and Yukon, your district is being challenged just as our district is being challenged by God's word and by his spirit. We are literally being called according to his word. We are being commanded to be a church action. Simply using a naval term, it's time, brethren, for all hands on deck. This is something that is said in the Navy world when everyone's help is needed and especially to do a lot of work in a short amount of time. Church, please don't take me wrong in this statement because I do believe that we should never forsake the king or the house of God. Amen. We should not forsake the house of God. But also, church, we can no longer excuse ourselves by hiding out in our sanctuaries. Nor can we aimlessly and purposely just go through the motions of mere religious exercises while the souls that are in our neighborhoods and our schools and our workplaces and our nation as a whole are failing. Further and further, they're falling into a moral abyss of hedonism and debauchery. Church, our Lord and Savior, amen, has already given His church His commission of what we need to do. We need to go. There are no boundaries or limits to where and who we are to teach or preach. Jesus said it best. Go ye into part, portion, into all. Everybody say all. all. Go into all of Alaska. All of the Yukon. Brother me. you know what a monumental task that would be. I, I mean, I absolutely am just overwhelmed by the vastness of this state. But he did tell us that there would be signs that would follow us. That in his name we would cast out devils. We would speak with new tongues. We would take up serpents or evil spirits. And if we did drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt us. Uh, We shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And that doesn't all have to happen in the church house. Brothers, this is our day. This is our hour. This is our purpose. You and I have been brought to God's kingdom for such a time as this. God is calling all the messengers to go forth and to take action. Simply speaking, a messenger is a person who carries a message. And what an awesome message that God has given us to share. We know and we've experienced the good news. God's word tells us that he is making his messengers, the winds, his ministers, a a flaming fire. Brothers, we have more than just a good feeling inside of our being. Like the prophet Jeremiah said, his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. We who are born again of water and of spirit are his present day messengers. Not just card carrying individuals with the UPCI. But all that confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life. Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the gospel, he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners who Paul says, I am chief. And verse 16 of that, 1 Timothy 1, says, how be it for this cause I obtain mercy. Anybody in here glad that they obtain mercy? Amen, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering. Aren't you glad that God is patient with us? I'm talking to preachers. I am glad that God is patient with us. Brother Bagwell, I know that you're glad that God is patient with us for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting church. Soul business has always been the business of the church. We are to go forth and make disciples. Look at the example that our Lord and Savior set before us. He went forth reaching out to everybody. No matter what their pedigree or culture. He invited them to follow him. He invited Fishermen to follow him, and they did. He approached a social outcast, the tax collector, which many times are still social outcasts, to follow him, and Matthew did. Jesus stepped to the side of a funeral procession and touched the casket that was being borne for burial. And Jesus said, Arise, and the dead young man arose. To the woman caught in the very act of adultery, he showed mercy and said, Go and sin no more. To the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda, he told him to rise and take up his bed and walk, and he did. Multitudes were fed by him, and his fish and bread multiplied in his very hands, and they were filled. Jesus took action. He went where people were. And he told us that he would make us fishers of men. Any fishermen, I guess all of you would be fishermen here in Alaska. I've heard about your King Salmon and so forth. I was jealous of Brother Soto when he got to come up here and go fishing. But you know, in Wisconsin, when you go fishing, I'm always amazed. And I think sometimes we approach the same thing in trying to reach people. In Wisconsin, if if you have a boat, they get in their boat, they start the motor, and they go clear to the other side to go fishing. And I'm thinking, how do they know that the fish are all over there? What if the fish is right next to the boat? Hello? Don't we kind of look at that sometimes the same way? And looking at souls? Huh? When we could be rubbing shoulders with them day by day. We could indeed be our neighbors that live right next to us. It could be indeed those that our children go to school with. It could be, you know, the fish could be any place. And Jesus made the difference in their lives. He felt compelled to go through Samaria. A people were half Jew and half Gentile. They were not socially accepted by either Jews or Gentiles. And there he engaged in a heartfelt conversation with a woman at the well, Jacob's well, and in turn told her whole village And John 4 and 29 says, come see a man. That's where this verse comes from that I read. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this, the Christ. And many of those Samaritans came to see him. And while the disciples were so concerned that Jesus had eaten, he said, I have meat that you know not of. And I say unto thee, say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. He's watching this group coming towards him right now. Hallelujah. He said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. I ask you this morning, brethren, uh, has Jesus Christ made a difference in your life? Every one of us here this morning should have a story. It's called a testimony. Amen. Now, maybe this is just me in Wisconsin. But I think, and I've told our district this, I think we are bypassing a tremendous tool. I don't know where we ever got this idea that church is just being in a house of worship. And that we have so religiousized, if that's a word, amen, people, that we think that their great mission field is just walking from their car into the church house. I'm not down on churches. Thank God for our churches. But somewhere along the line, there is a whole world outside of these doors, and God has given each of us, uh, tell your brother next to you, God's given you a story. God has given you a story. I don't care if you were raised in the church or not. Uh, God has given us a story. God deals with us. I can remember my son, when we first went to Monroe, uh, uh, you know, he was just about 10 years old and, and. um a man in the church wanted to take my son and I fishing in the evening and at nighttime. And he said, and we didn't have really any fishing equipment. And, and he says, I got the rods and the reels and the tackle. He said, all I ask is you buy a couple of bobbers. I thought, well, I can do that, you know. Red and white plastic bobber, about 25 cents at the most, maybe 50, you know. Oh, but my son, he comes up with one that's packaged in plastic. It's amber and it has a light in it it glows in the dark and it's 499 now folks, at that time, at the church that we pastored, we only had nine voting members when we started, and so and, and it, you might understand this, uh, if we had 400 bucks left uh, in the church account at the end of the month, uh, we were all shouting, "Hallelujah, glory to God and amen." And 499 was a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk. Can I get a witness here? And so consequently, I said, No, John, I said, I said, your mom would be very disappointed in me if I spent that much money for a, for a plastic bottle. He said, Oh, Dad, please, we never go fix. Well, you know how they are. And so I reluctantly bought it for him. Of course. We get out there in the dock, and we get it all fixed up. First cast, my son. And that bobber just kept right on going. You know, it really worked well. You could see that light, and it was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I didn't say a word. My son, he was quite disappointed. But I'll never forget this, and neither does he. When he passed me by, he was pacing at this time the dock. He's only 10. Maybe he did it for my benefit. I don't know, but I don't think so. But he, when he came by me, I heard him praying, and he said, God, my dad couldn't afford to buy that for me. And he said, God, I'm asking you to bring that bobber back to me. He's 10. He's 10. God is my witness. It wasn't five minutes, and the wind changed. And all of a sudden, that bobber started coming, and it got brighter and brighter and brighter, and my son picked it from the dock out of the water. He still has that bobber today. That's why I'm saying, I don't care if you're brought up in the church or not. uh, Amen. God deals with us. We all have a story. We all have a story. And everybody in our churches has a story. They have a testimony. And we need to be careful, folks, that we're just not having a testimony in church services, but that we're having testimony service wherever we're going outside of these walls. Some of our people says, well, I don't know how to teach a Bible study. That may be true. They don't know how necessarily, but they can give their story. And the only thing that the people they give it to can say, I either don't believe it or you're a liar. But folks, amen, once I was blind, but now I see you. can't tell me. They can't take away our story. They can't indeed do anything. But you know how powerful it is? I am sure you all heard about Brother Stone King going before the United Nations, uh, the General Assembly. Uh, Amen. I watched the video too. Uh, I was so proud of him and so impressed. Uh, But the very last thing he said is, I give you Jesus. And what did he share with the General Assembly? He shared his testimony of how God raised him from the dead. You can share your testimony of how God, once I was lost, but now I am found. Once I was an alcoholic, but now, amen, once I was perverted, but now, once indeed. God is calling all the messengers, not just us preachers. Oh, if I could encourage anything, brethren, that when you go back to your churches, that you encourage your congregations to get out into your communities and tell them to tell their story. That's why I love to Fly have a captive audience. They can't go anyplace. Right. Now, I don't push myself on people. I just start out with, hello, how are you today? And if it's the kind of individual that says, I'm fine, hello. then I know they really don't want me to talk to them. If they respond, I'm fine, how are you today? Then I say, where are you from? They tell me. What do you do? They tell me, and invariably, they'll say, what do you do? There you go. I said, I'm a minister. Really? And then they ask, what church or what kind of a... Usually when they say... Now, please, brethren, I'm not saying this proudly, but... Like the kid, they'll say, "What kind of preacher are you?" And I say, "A good one." <laughs> that may not be true, but uh, but at any rate, and then we just start talking. I don't start talking about X two thirty eight. I start talking about hey. Yeah, you know, God is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God can still do what he's always done. And many times i will say, well, you know what? I don't ever hear of miracles anymore. I don't ever hear of, it. and I'll say, oh, really? I said, you know, my mom, amen. She was up one time for for Christmas break and she's, I'm an only child, and and she said, John, she says, I feel like I have a, a rock in my left breast. And I said, well, mom, you better go have that checked out. And she did. And they, she had a lump uh, the size of a hard-boiled egg in her left breast. Uh, and so she went in for a, 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 a lumpectomy. Uh, and so uh, I flew down to Ohio to be with my dad. And Amen. And, and, and you know how it is, preachers, when you're with families in the hospital going through surgeries and so forth. Uh, if everything goes right, the doctor just says right in front of God. And everybody says everything went great and so forth. But when things don't go the way they thought it would go. They ask you to come to a counseling room. You've been there, haven't you? And I'm thinking, oh God, they have found cancer all through her. Me of little faith. We get down, we sit down, and the doctor says, Well, gentlemen, I just want to tell you things did not go as I expected them to go today. And I said, Really? I said, uh, 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 What's wrong? He said, Well, he said, the tumor or the lump that I, that I examined in Mrs. Putnam's breast, he said, I could not find that today. And depending who I'm sitting next to when I share these kind of testimonies, all of a sudden I see a tear in their eye or they go, Wow. I've never, I said, folks, God has never changed. He is still able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can even ask or think. God has given us, amen, a testimony. He has given us the message, amen, of being born again of water and of spirit, amen. The message has to be delivered to as many as we possibly can. (laughs) Was it not John the Revelator in Revelation that wrote, and they overcame him, speaking of the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and by what? The word, every say the word, the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Church, what I'm trying to say is we have got to get up and get out of our pews and get into the mainstream of our social surroundings. We need to befriend people. Isn't it amazing? You all know this this is the statistic. Amen. Most people that come to God in the first six months of their conversion is when they reach the most people. Why? Why? because they get so ingrained in the body, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but everything changes for them. Their whole, their whole oikos changes, but we gotta encourage our people, amen? Now, if we're afraid that they're gonna be so influenced by the world, then I guess we just keep the cocoon around them, but I tell you, if they're on fire for God, amen, we need to set them loose and go out and give their testimony, We must be willing to pull down walls of social prejudice and go through the open doors that God makes available to each of us. In Germany, again, I'm sorry for the personal references here, but just experiences. We had an international church about 19 different nationalities that came on a U.S. Army base. You will not believe how shocked I was, Brother Parrish, that at one of our Christmas banquets, a Frenchman signed on 23 Palestinians onto the American base for our church banquet. This was the beginning of this whole Palestinian stuff. And I'm thinking, oh God, they're all terrorists. It's amazing how we think. So they had a riot at the Lagna, which was the refugee house. And that same French man said, Pastor, they want you to come over and see their living conditions. So after a Sunday evening service, I told him I would meet Jean-Claude there at that. They had the riot the night before. They knocked out every light bulb that they had in their hallways. So I walk in the building with John Claude. I'm the only American. I walk in, I am immediately surrounded by about 40 Palestinians. And when I stood there and I could hardly see them all, I thought, you know, John, this is probably not the smartest thing you've ever done. But you know what? We preach it well. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. When does God leave us at the front door? No, God is with us. God will help us. And they took us, and their living conditions were horrible. They were deplorable. But folks, I'm telling you that God is greater, amen, than anything that the world can throw against anybody. They shoved me in, literally shoved me into one of their bedrooms, which they were smart enough not to knock off the lights in their bedrooms. Uh, amen. And this one bedroom I noticed right away on this locker, on the left door of the locker, was a picture of Yasser Arafat. Uh, on the right side of the door was a picture of Ronald Reagan. I thought, well, now that's interesting. And then when I sat down, they said, Pastor, we have no hope. We have no hope. And I'm talking back in the 80s, folks. They told me in that room, they said, the Syrians, they were all Lebanese from Beirut. They said, the Syrians tell us where we put bombs. And if we don't, then they hurt our families. So we left to come as refugees here. And now look at their living conditions. You know what? Somewhere along the line, we've got to have some compassion for people. Now, you may think I'm being political right now, especially in light of all that's going on in our country, but I'm not. Because if there's one thing I recognize, the last time I read the book, Jesus is interested in the whole world. The last person I baptized before I left Germany was Mohammed Ibo from Beirut, Lebanon, and when he went down in the water in the name of Jesus Christ, and he came up speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance, the very first thing he said to me after that, he said, Pastor, my name is no longer Mohammed. My name is now Daniel. Daniel. Folks, I'm telling you, you just got, we just need to get our people out there and to share. I would have never been there if John Claude, amen, just a regular Frenchman, he was already witnessing to these guys, amen, and making the way. You know what I'm talking about. You've got people in your churches, amen, that are constantly sharing their testimony. we go into here? Whatever I get done. What time service start? (laughs) I want to tell you the most powerful testimony that I have ever witnessed and I witnessed it just this last August. My son is my pastor now. It's interesting our relationship. He's the pastor and I'm a superintendent, and as long as he does everything I like, then we get along just fine. But that is not true. When I'm there, I try to be the best saint that I can be. Matter of fact, if my son asked me to stand in the corner of my head, I would try it because he is my pastor. I love him. Amen. Amen. He had a man about four years ago. They did a praise in the park, in the amphitheater, in the park in Sheboygan. And the church was singing and so forth. And, and, and I don't want to bore you here, but I'm telling you, this is the most powerful testimony I've ever witnessed. And uh, this older man, 70, oh, he must have been about 78, 79 years old. He's walking across the park in his Bermuda shorts, his tank top. That's an interesting sight just in itself. And he heard the music and he sat down on a bench. And he wasn't there too long. And Brother Wayne Zimmerman, man in the church, went over and sat by him and introduced himself. And the man said, His name's Carl. And uh, Carl Rolf. And he said, uh, Wayne says, uh, Are you enjoying this? He said, This is wonderful music. He said, I really like this singing. And. uh, Wayne says, well, you know what? We have a van. Do you go to church anyplace? He says, no. He said, I'm all by myself. He said, I was just on my way to get my dinner, my evening dinner here. And he said, and, and, and he said well, would you like for us to pick you up for Sunday? He said, would you do that? So they brought him. I'll never forget, first Sunday, Carl came. Amen. Again, he didn't change clothes. It was still Bermuda shorts and his tank top. And his baseball hat. He used to be a U.S. Marine. 78, 79. And he, avid smoker. 60 years he'd been smoking. Been to Las Vegas 40 times. Avid gambler. And he wasn't an alcoholic, but I'm sure he drank his Isville. but it was just about two months and there was Carl not in his shorts this time but raising those bony arms up at the altar and God filled him with the Holy Ghost and 78 79 baptized in Jesus name he loved my wife and you uh, go up to Sister Putnam and You're not Sister Putnam, but he'd go up to Sister Putnam and he'd say, Sister Bishop's wife, he said, it's been, it's been 90 days, no cigarette, no more, no more trips to Las Vegas, no more drinking. Amen. And that 90 days turned into 120 and turned into a year, turned into a couple of years. Uh, amen. Praise God. And, and and he would just come in. It, it, it was really, it was really interesting. My my son and I'd be down before church praying and on our knees. And and, and Carl would come by and he'd go. And I turn around and go, Oh, Bishop, I didn't mean to disturb you. <laughs> He said, I just wanted to tell you I love you. Well, this August, he woke up on this, I think it was about the 5th or the 8th of August, and he woke up, and he had such a severe pain in his abdomen. It was so severe that he fell to the floor. He passed out. Meal on Wheels found him in the floor, and they did revive him. They Called 911. They got the ambulances there and they got him to the ER. And here, when he fell, he had a herniated aorta in his stomach and it busted. And they came in and they said, Mr. Rolfe, um, there's nothing that we can do for you. He said, um, Mr. Roth you have between two hours and two days and God excuse me and you're going to die that's what they told him and you know what Carl's response was praise the Lord I'm not making this up he said praise the Lord he said God has answered my prayer doctors were just blown away so they're now getting ready to take him to a hospice center immediately because the shortness and I don't know if they do this every place, but in Sheboygan, evidently, the, the ambulance drivers, uh, uh, they said, Mr. Ruff, is there anything that you would like to see for the last time, like going by Lake Michigan or going by a favorite park or, or whatever? And he said, yes. He says, I want to go to church. That's where my family is. By that time, uh, we've got several phone calls to people. This is in the middle of the week. we got several phone calls to people, amen, uh, to meet at the church, uh, amen, in the dire need of Carl, amen. And so, sure enough, we're all there waiting at the church. Uh, ambulance pulls up, uh, amen. The EMT people bring in. He's on a stretcher, and there's a slope floor in my son's church. Uh, and when he hits the back door and we're all in the front, he raises his head and says, Did you hear the good news? Did you hear the good news? He says, I get to see Jesus today. Did you hear the good news? Oh, church, I want you to know there's power in your testimony. They wheeled him down. He was glad to see everybody. Uh, Amen. You can stand. I'm almost done here. Amen. And they wheeled him down. And and my son's talking with him. Oh, he did not want to be... he, He didn't want to be prayed for for healing. He did not want to be prayed for for healing. He was ready. I mean, we had both elders and we had younger men there and I'm thinking God this is one of the greatest experience for these young men that are potential leaders in this church amen because they're getting to see what this is really all about amen they're getting to see that this is more than just theology and it's more than just uh, theoretics it's more than just and watching around an altar but this is at the last of the line and bless God he's asking every one of us did you hear the good news so we started singing songs like amazing grace how great is our god hallelujah he stopped and he said to my son he says you know what i'm gonna miss the most we're at the altar and he said you know what i'm gonna miss the most is being right here at the altar because this is where i felt the presence." My son said, Carl, where you're going, (laughs) this is nothing compared to where you're going. 40 minutes. We sang, we prayed, we cried. The two EMT people, they are just sobbing. You talk about a witness. A story. My son says, Carl, is there anything else we can do for you? He stopped a minute and he said, my wife was not there. He says, yes, I would like to see the bishop's wife. I get on my cell phone. I said, honey, this is death for Carl. I said, they're taking him to the hospice center. Can you meet John David over there? my son at the hospice center. And she said, sure. So she got in her car. So they get him over there, hospice center and Joanne's there. And, and and the nurse is trying to get him checked in. And Carl gets out his wrist. He's got that little plastic band on that says DNR. Do not resuscitate. He looks and he says, the nurse, he says, do you see this band? And she said, oh yes, I'm the one that can resuscitate. He said, oh no, you're not. He said, I'm going to see Jesus today. Now, you may think that he was off his, no, 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 no. This man is very sane. This man is very stable in his thoughts. He was very fluent. Amen. But he knew what this was really all about. Amen. I'm telling you, folks, for this guy, it changed my whole attitude about dying, about indeed in any way. All I know is when it comes that time, did you hear the good news? wife says to the Carl, Carl why don't you tell the nurse your testimony and he started in, well I was on my way to go get my evening meal and I heard this singing he asked for some coffee he closed his eyes church people gathered they were singing Carl Rove left the greatest testimony I have ever heard in my experience. A man ready to meet God and happy about it. Brethren, God's calling all of the messengers, the Carl Rove's, all the saints in your assemblies, my own life, that we just tell. Our story. Would you lift up your hands today? Hallelujah. Would you thank God for his testimony? The story in your life.